0: I'm Russ Tickle and on this episode of American Reef we're going to talk about how I keep so many tangs in such a small tank. we even talking about keeping a tank full of tangs well basically for whatever reason this year uh january february kind of march time frame i got crushed with emails right and with questions and one of the most common questions was how do i keep a tank full of tangs?" and um and you know even though i did a video probably three ish four ish years ago uh, on that exact same questions uh apparently you know that video is not getting seen so if you have any desire to see that video rather than watching this video right you can go out to americanreef.com uh, it's in the reef tutor series you'll find uh basically a, a video in there that talks about how i want to keep a tank full of tangs, right and i figured again i would do this update video because now you can kind of see what the tank looks like now right and how things have kind of evolved and also i'll address that question so now you know, when I look at that question, I kind of dissect it a little bit and kind of break it up into three parts. Meaning, you know, for me, I have a relatively small tank, right? So one part of that question is how do I keep a small tank full of tanks? Second one, if I have a diversity of tanks, right? Some naso, some hippo, some yellow, that kind of thing, right? So um, to me, it's like, how did I do that? Right? And then lastly, you know, how do we keep them alive right i mean you can obviously you can keep a tank full of tanks for short periods of time but how do you do that over a long period of time right and so what i'm going to try to address is all those three areas and when you look at all those three areas to me it all breaks down to kind of three key concepts right Um, the first concept is you know the water quality meaning that for any kind of fish that we are going to keep you know water quality is always Top of that list, right? Um, and so, if you want to keep a any fish, whether it's tangs or sturgeons or or, or whatever, um, you're going to need to make sure you have good water quality. So I'll kind of address a little bit later here how I address the water quality aspect of it. Uh, the second one, at least in in the case of kind of tangs, sturgeon fish, you know that sort of thing, um, there's a lot of aggression, right? They're very territorial. Right? So to me, there's another category that we kind of kind of address is how do you manage that aggression, um, especially in a smaller tank, and then the third category is you've got a coral reef tank. So you have some of these tanks, for example, that are as big as my hand. How do you um, grow corals without them constantly getting knocked off, broken, that kind of thing, right? So again. It's another set of criteria that basically I'm going to try to answer here. And let's start off with water quality. right? Water quality, like I said, to me is number one on the list. Um, now in my particular case, right, my water quality and the way that I handle water quality may be a little bit different than everybody else because basically it blends into the way that I feed my tank. Um, and again, to me, I always revert back to this kind of bubble analogy where when you feed your tank a lot, then you have to basically um, you know, do a lot of exporting of nutrients because you're putting a lot in, so you gotta get a lot out. So again, it's that bubble, right? Um, so when you look at water quality for me anyway, you know, the way that I do that filtration has changed a little bit over the past three, four years. Right? Originally when I did my uh, video, I basically was using bio pallets at the time, uh, skimmer, GFO, carbon, that kind of thing, right? And I did not have a refugium or miracle mud. Um, now this, you know, over the past three, four years, right, this tank has kind of grown into a system where I got rid of the bio biopallets, for example, and I relied basically on that miracle mud, uh, we'll call it sand bed underneath for part of the nutrients and the filtration. And um, also what I did is I have a refugium in there now. So the combination of those two kind of aspects have uh, replaced, we'll call it like the, the bio biopallets, right? Now I still have a reactor in there to run basically GFO and carbon but mostly it's GFO. Before I used to have two separate uh, reactors, one for GFO, one for carbon. And now what I do is that basically what I'll do is have one reactor and I'll put mostly GFO in there and I think I use like maybe a three to one ratio where I'll take the, the bulk reef supply GFO and then I'll mix it in with a, basically the ROX carbon. Um, I know carbon depletes a lot faster than the GFO, um, but for the most part, I kind of ignored the, that fact and assumed that I would treat them equally. So as it relates to skimming, um, since I wanted to add this refugium area in here, what I ended up doing was replacing that ASM skimmer with two of these Tun Z904 skimmers. And um, the reason why I went with two is because I can set them up basically one to do wet skimming and the other to do dry skimming. Wet meaning the, uh, the mate would be a little bit lighter like maybe tea and dry meaning the skimmate would be darker more like we'll say kind of dark coffee that kind of thing. And I found that the two of these uh, actually did a good job at replacing that one ASM and I kind of gained some real estate back in my sump for this refugia. Now as it relates to calcium supplementation, my uh, calcium reactor has been offline for approximately, I'll say two-ish years, something like that, and I found out that just using the traditional wasser to basically, um, you know, we'll, case, we'll say saturate the, the the auto top off water with the Kalkwasser solution um, tends to give me all of the calcium and alkalinity supply that I need for this tank, especially with the water changes, right? So from a filtration end of it, that's basically what my filter is, right? Um, I used to have filter socks before, I've pulled those off now, um, and I believe I still had the ceramic kind of spheres that were again cut for that denitrification. And when you look at it, um you know, since we're talking about the denitrification, that miracle mud kind of sand bed underneath everything is the other aspect of how I'm able to handle that denitrification. Um you know, it's funny because after after using it for multiple years, you kind of understand a little bit better on how it works. And uh, what, what a lot of people don't tell you is one of the reasons why it kind of works pretty good is the fact that its consistency is such that you know like normal sand for example will let you know we'll call it nutrients for the lack of a better word sink right to the bottom unless you kind of keep them in suspension or, or exported and the density of the miracle mud is such that it doesn't let things kind of fall in there um so basically detritus things of that nature will sit on the top and as long as you can export that out of there you don't have too many issues as far as it being a kind of nutrient sink right um and so as such becomes kind of a good form of denitrification the other thing that i'll tell you is you need a good bit of it like in this particular tank i started off uh, when I first uh, started using it with one bay just full of the uh, the Miracle Mud. and I called the Miracle Mud bricks, right, first. And then what I ended up doing is actually moving it over to two bays of that chamber in my sump. Um, that way I had more of it. And when I did that, again, I didn't have uh, any issues as far as kind of the, the keeping uh, a hold of my nitrates, and that's when I actually dropped the, uh, the BioPellet Reactor. And so when you look at that combination from there, you know that's kind of what we'll call it the mechanical and how things have changed, right? From a filtration standpoint. Um, the other thing again is since I feed heavily, and we'll talk about why I do that. What I do is I do aggressive water changes. And when I say aggressive water changes, I used to do basically three to five gallon water changes daily. Right? Um, and and now I have changed that up a little bit, where I do the three to five gallons every other day. And when you look at it, there are a couple main reasons why I believe that that is you know, one of the keys to successfully keeping um, you know, a tank full of tanks. Um, number one, from a water quality aspect, you, we want to make sure that, again, it is clean as we possibly can. And some of my bad habits right, will be compensated for with these water changes. For example... If we take a look at my tank, right, you know, since that last video, the rock work has changed a little bit because I wanted to give the fish more room to kind of swim. Well, in that process, what I did is I tucked this kind of, I'll call it a a small little um, mountain of euphelia and, and hammer corals, right, over here in this corner. And when I did that, basically, I created a dead zone right? And so when you look at kind of circulation, for example, and keeping, you know, nutrients in the water column until they can be exported, well, that dead zone basically is, to me, a nutrient sink now. So where I may have eliminated nutrient sinks in other places, I created one over in that corner. And so those water changes are going to make up for that. Now, if I I could probably address it other ways, right? Like, um, you'll see kind of, again, dead coral skeletons that kind of appeared over here and and, and uh, basically kind of all the nastiness that's in that corner, right? Well, if I just move that rock out, for example, and maybe put some circulation back there, maybe one of those little tunzy kind of vertical um, streamers, um, you know, that would keep, again, the solids, you know, in suspension until they got exported. Um, but in my particular case, it is a small tank. So it's only this, you know, 4 foot, 110 gallon tank here. So... To me, what's more important is that room for the fish. So again, the balloon again, right? You've got a give and take kind of relationship. So when you look at that, those water changes are going to basically compensate for, again, my poor kind of aquascaping. The second thing it's going to do, it's going to compensate for, again, my feeding habits. Now we'll take a break here, uh, but then we'll Again, talk about kind of those feeding habits and why we need to kind of have really good filtration for that. So let's talk about this aggressive feeding and why you need such a good filtration system in place. Um, basically, sturgeon fish, these tanks, they're very territorial, right? They're very aggressive. They wanna basically take a piece of that tank, call it their home, and if anything comes near it, they, bam, they come out and hit it. That, or they'll chase you know, whoever all over the tank just to let them show their dominance, right? And what I found out is that by feeding them aggressively, again, that will take that aggression and knock it down severely, right? Now, for me, what I do is I feed that American Reef HPD, right? And um, what I used to do, for example, I used to take and cut it up in one inch kind of cubes and I just throw it into the tank. Well, I threw it in the tank and it was really good because what would happen would be that, um, you know, the aggressive fish would hit it for, you know, we'll say whatever, 10 minutes or something like that. And then since this um, H.P.D. kind of say stalled for a good you know hour or so in the tank. The less aggressive fish would hit it as well, right? So everybody was fat, dumb, and happy, until right the little shrimp would come out and take that H.P.D. little nugget and take it into the back. So if it took it over to my kind of Euphelia um, mountain where that Monty is, the fish would never get it. Right? And again, talk about a nutrient sink. That's bad news, right? And so again, in my particular case, that's one of the reasons why I had to add and make sure my filtration and water quality right, was at its best. Now, since then though, what I have done is I instituted basically kind of this feeding clip concept where basically you take that HPD and you put it in the feeding clip and that way that shrimp can't necessarily get to it. And from that kind of perspective, right, I did a real good job at kind of making sure that Again, the fish would bite, it would go straight into their belly because, again, it's more that distribution of food of what makes HPD such, you know, or I should say one of the one of the reasons why it made it such a good food because it wasn't like you would scatter shot and throw the food in the tank and, you know, a per- per- percentage of that food would get into the fish's belly, right? This way here, you know, a higher percentage would get into their deli, which would make them full, which would make them not aggressive. Um, so... Again, that's one solution there. The other thing is I used to feed basically nori from, um, I'll call it for the lack of a better word, the mag floats, meaning I'd take a sheet of nori, put it on the side of the tank and I'd let the fish pick at it. And, And the problem with that is again, strips would be pulled off and it would go over the overflow into my sump area. And again, since I removed filter socks in this filter, Um, you know, again, I didn't want things rotting because, again, if you're if it's not living, it's dying basically in your tank. So, things that are dying will create heavy phosphates, you know, and, and basically cause problems in your reef tank. So, what I ended up doing is basically coming up with that shredded kind of nori so that what I would do is I would slam that into the HPD again, since you can customize it, and um. Since it was in those bags, I would try to basically have that a big enough piece in there where they would hit at that all day long. Again, the idea, fat, dumb, and happy. Um, you know, so again, that is the reason why I needed to make sure from a water quality standpoint that the water quality is good. Because we know that the third aspect of this of this is like the corals. And when you have corals, for example. Uh, they don't like dirty water, right? I mean, some do, obviously, but, you know, again, for the tanks that you like, most of the corals that you like, uh, they don't like that dirty water. Um, So with that kind of being said, right, you'd look at it and say, okay, when you feed a lot, then that means your filtration has to be good. Now, you could do the opposite, of course, right? Uh, You limit your food, and then when you don't have your food, then again, you don't have to worry about the filtration, but then you have that aggression. So in my particular case, when you have all these tangs, uh, and you're trying to minimize that aggression in such a small area, feeding tends to be, again, one of the keys, for me anyway, of, you know, again, why I believe them to be uh, at least successful, right, because, or my attempts to be successful is probably a better way of putting it. Because again, you can keep tangs for, you know, one, two years, et cetera. But like for most of these tangs, we're talking, they are 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, right? And um, to me, I'm doing something right into this combination. That's the video, that's why I'm sharing, right? (music) talk a little bit about kind of the coral side of it right now in the first video I had mentioned the corals that you keep and the selection of the corals is kind of important in this kind of how you can keep you know so many tangs in a coral reef Um, You'll notice that the corals that I have, for example, they're not the very delicate corals. I mean, I do have some SPS, some LPS in there, Um, you know, and and when you look at it, the SPS though, for example, they're sturdier, like the Montes, for example. Well, Montipora are a very sturdy, hardy kind of uh, SPS coral. And when you look at it, when you have these big fish the size of your hand kind of swimming around there, you need something that's that's thicker or heavier, right? Um, So, in that kind of vein, you'll notice what I did is, you know, I have those monties in there, and then kind of like the bird's nest that I have, the other SPS coral in there. Um, what I ended up doing is I kind of nestled it in so that the rocks would protect probably 50% of it, so that that could grow up and not worry about getting the little branches knocked off by the time these fish would, you know, hit it when they were playing around, kind of thing. So. The coral selection is another reason why you can again keep a coral reef tank with all these tanks, tanks. Excuse me, because again, I, I don't have the really delicate, dainty kind of corals in there that will get beat up, and you know, if for some for some reason I don't have great water quality, um, that will cause you know the tank to crash or the corals to crash, that sort of thing. So you know, again, from a coral selection, that's another aspect of hey, if you're going to keep these larger fish. You know, again, larger fish need larger food, right? So, again, you can kind of see how they're all kind of related, right? Um, Now, with that being said, I I look at a lot of this, and and this is how rust keeps a relatively small tank full of coral and tanks, right? There are many other ways to do that. However, you know, at least kind of looking back through the years on at least my success doing it, those are probably the three key areas of why I believe this tank is successful. And, you know, why, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, as far as any major kind of dying uh, episodes, we'll say, I've kind of avoided a lot of those. And again, I'm knocking on wood because it happens to everybody, right? There's these cycles in this reef keeping hobby that, you know, again, sometimes you're on top of the world and, and it drops off as soon as you jinx it. So I don't want to jinx it, but I'm just saying, you know, again, for, for me, for today and how things go, that's basically how I am achieving, again, a tang full of, uh, you know, again, tangs that are aggressive, you know, with coral that are, that are basically live and healthy. To that point... I have had some coral changes since, um, since that last video, so let's kinda take a break here and talk about what those coral changes are. talk about how can my aquascaping and the corals kind of changed over these three or four years. Um, again, keeping in mind that I have a tank full of big fish in there, I wanted to make sure that I can't I kind of gave them more room to swim. And at the same time, um, I wanted to add a different dimension to that tank. So what I did is basically added kind of negative space, right? That negative space was nothing more than uh, areas where it wasn't, again, live rock, for example, or coral, right? Where you could see the bare bottom, where you could see the, you know, basically the sand bed, um, and you can kind of see paths to it. Now, we know about the kind of mistakes that I've made on the left-hand side, where I have wall of euphilia, the hammers, et cetera, with that monte. Um, but again, I- I'm able to manage that with uh, the water changes and the filtration system I got and on the right you can kind of see what I did is I got rid of all of the star polyps because at one point I wanted to have basically star polyps climbing up all the whole back over the overflows and the walls and um and then from there um you know take it and kind of we'll say encapsulate that green motion as a backdrop right with kind of other colors of corals that went with green better um and again with the negative space comment, or concept, excuse me, that didn't work so well. Meaning uh, when I put that negative space in there, I didn't like the way it looked. It looked kind of really claustrophobic and I was kind of looking for something a little more open. So I ended up basically tailoring that or basically migrating that out of my tank, star polyps in general, as well as other kind of leathers, etc. Like from a softy, what I did is I only focused on that one leather in that right-hand corner down here. And as you can see, it's kind of too big at this point. But it also, I like big corals as well as, you know, as opposed to like many small ones. I'm more of a big colony kind of guy, right? So um, I kind of like that. You know, as far as the, uh, the SPS side of it, you'll see what I also did is I took and when I created that negative space in the middle to the right, I have some zoes that I basically placed on that rock so it would create kind of carpet going up too. Some SPS and the SPS there that I added was basically uh, the bird's nest. On, and then on that bird's nest, you'll see I kind of tucked it into the rock work, So roughly again, seventy percent, maybe sixty percent. You know, um, you know, if you're kind of looking at it, it is protected or sheltered from the big fish, right? Because those big fish, like I said, if you have delicate corals in here, um, you know, you're going to take and they're going to hit it and break it off, and things won't grow, and they'll get cuts and, and things of that of that nature, right? So. In general, my goal was to try to protect the coral, but also add a little color, a little pink, right, is basically what I was going for, all right, and in kind of in that SPS world. Um, now, when you look at that, right, so that kind of piece looks really good. Um I'm super happy with all of that. And what happened though in the meantime Um, is I had a colony of Duncans, right? And Duncans are probably one of my favorite kind of corals. And the colony of Duncans that I had was having some issues at one point in time. So I actually took them out of there and moved them up to uh, basically a quarantine kind of tank. And so knock on wood, they're kind of doing okay for now. Um, I did lose probably 25% of the heads on it. Um, And The only thing that I can contribute that loss to, right, was the fact that at the time um, I was doing body work basically in my garage. It was winter time, that kind of thing. And the fumes basically came up through the house into the fish tank, and at that point, you know, some fish or some corals, for example, that weren't as hardy or whatever, again, they they started feeling that stress because it was was a toxic kind of smell, Um, and so, From that end of it, it's the only thing that I can kind of track it down to um, because at the same time, my Monty, um, the the orange Monty, again, I started losing it. So again, from that perspective um, where it started bleaching, I just cut it off, right, and figured I'd put it in a quarantine tank and kind of save it. So you'll see where, again, that quarantined orange one where it started off as being a piece that was maybe one inch now has grown out so I was able to save it. And um, you can kind of see where I've got that up in this top right hand corner. So when you look at kind of how many corals that I have in here now, now they are bigger colonies, right, and are fewer of them. Um, again, and that's just a look that I like. Other people may like other ways, you know, again, more diversification, so to speak. And, you know, again, to each his own. It's kind of a, it's like a painting in my mind, right, is, is what you're kind of building. And so, and, you know, for now, that's how I've kind of built my painting of, of the reef tank. And, and, and again, from, from my particular vantage point, it was so I could keep all of those tangs and sturgeon fish in there and the larger fish. Because, again, I'm a big fan of them, right. Um, So from a kind of coral rockscaping, that's the other kind of I'll say things that have changed over the past, you know, three, four years, those kind of things, but also my thought process around it and why I did certain things, right? And again, the idea is for you to pick and choose what you want as far as kind of what works for you, but if you understand the whole picture, you'll at least understand why it works, right? As opposed to just picking one piece and then not knowing the whole story behind it and then basically failing because, you know, maybe uh, whatever you pick and choose is reliant on the other things that maybe you didn't know about. So from a uh, from a from a general kind of uh, landscaping, aquascaping, coral perspective, you know that's kind of an update there. From a fish perspective, as far as what has changed again over the past three or four years, uh, again I think I've lost probably a, a tang. Right, one one tang jumped out, and I and. Keep in mind, I didn't replace any of these fish just because they were getting bigger, so I wanted to at least have enough room for the, the big fish that I did have. So that tang jumped out. The lemon peel, right, it, remember I was having problems with the Duncans that I had talked about. For whatever reason, he got contaminated and, and he died off there. Um, I also had uh, blue hippo tangs. Again, they were a little bit too big, so I kept the original big one, and then the other two I ended up giving to friends. Um, again, it was just one of those things where too big a fish and too small of an area. So when you look at it, my my original look for the tank is I wanted to have a lot of yellow, and so that's why I kinda again kept most of the yellow tangs and didn't replace kind of the blue ones that were in there. And in general, that's kind of an update there, at least as it relates to the tangs, and we know how things are kind of going with those guys so far. And uh, I think that pretty much would probably bring up to date as far as, you know, what I'm doing to keep that tank of tanks and kind of what has changed over the last three or four years. Um, uh, as far as any kind of illnesses, I, at one point I, I did have uh, some ick in there. And again, remember I said in that last video, um, I, it was on the hippo tang specifically. I am not a big fan of pulling out quarantining and treating and that sort of thing. Um, I you know, I solved my, my ick problem just by making sure that the fish were fed the American Reef HPD. And what I would do is I would basically take some uh, garlic, you know, some garlic extract, put a couple drops in there to build up their immune system when I was making the HPD. And again, they would eat it, digest it, so it was a direct kind of, I'll say, approach to solving that problem. Um, and again, knock on wood, uh, that seems to work, right? And I've been doing that for probably better part of a decade, just because by the time you treat you know, the tank, um, I've seen more harm probably come out of treating a tank with corals in it than good, so I just kind of avoid most of that. Other than that, again, no other kind of major events. And um, I guess what I would uh, leave you with this note is, again, this is one way of keeping a tank full of, um, you know, Against sturgeon fish, tangs, aggressive large fish, right? I'm sure that there are other ways out there. Uh, if you have those other ways you think that might be worth sharing to others, share them, right, share them on the forums or send me an email, let me know, and I can kind of distribute them through the videos. So now if you're interested in HPD, I actually created a website for it. You can go to AmericanReefHPD.com. You can pick some up there. And as you've heard me say many times, right, give my sponsors a chance to earn that business because I believe them to be the heart and soul, right, of what's gonna make this reef keeping hobby successful in the future. Why? Because they're good, honest people that won't let you fail, right? And I think we need to support those kind of uh, people in this hobby. You know, as such, that's why I choose them and they don't choose me. Uh, Again, the companies like Tunzi, right? Uh, Ecosystems, right, with the Miracle Mud. Um, Worldwide Corals, which is a new sponsor on board. Uh, As well as if you're, you know, looking to purchase any one of those kind of products, except for the corals, obviously. Uh, you can get them at Bulk Reef Supply, Premium Aquatics. Again, small, good guys won't let you fail. Again, I'm Russ Kickle. If you have any questions about today's episode, feel free to reach out to me at American Reef at me.com.